Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I'm going to be reading the first 17 verses this morning. Where Solomon asks, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, or who can tell him how it will be. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man is nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it it out. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? We would like to think that uh, we are pursuing wisdom, that we are wise. We certainly want to act in a wise and not a foolish way, but we're all well acquainted with decisions that we've made that were foolish and the consequences of those foolish decisions. Perhaps You're even now suffering the consequences of foolish decisions that you have made in your lives. Well, J.I. Packer in Knowing God says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. It's the power to see and the inclination to know or to choose, the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So it's the best means to reach the highest goal and the 
power to see that and the inclination to choose that. We have a lot of choices in life, and wisdom picks the very best choices and knows how to get to those things, the path that it takes to get there. That's wisdom, being able to see that, understand that, and choose that. That's the wise person. Well, the Solomon here, who was very wise, commends wisdom to us here in the first verse, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. You know, your, your face reflects what's going on in your heart. And here wisdom is making the wise person's face shine. He's happy and joyful. He's made great decisions in his life, and he's blessed as a result. He's been able to navigate a difficult world with wisdom, and that has kept him from negative consequences in his life, and it has brought him blessings in his life in many ways. So Solomon is commending wisdom to us, and he gives us an example here in the first few verses, a picture of someone who is a courtier in a king's court. He says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him or because of your oath to God. That verse can be translated either way in the Hebrew, and if you're looking at a different translation, it might say because of your oath to God. Either way, God has put the king in his position of authority and placed whoever this person is into a place of employment by the king. And he's uh, someone who is an advisor to the king. He uh, is a person kind of like Joseph or Daniel. You remember Joseph uh, was, uh, w- rose to the rank of second in command in Egypt because of his wisdom. He was able to come into the court of Pharaoh and share and interpret dreams and point the the Pharaoh in the right way and he preserved not only the Egyptians but his own family in doing so or Daniel the same way in Babylon rose through the ranks being exiled there and showing wisdom and being put in charge of much of the kingdom. So he was an advisor to the king. And he says here in verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. So in other words, say you advise the king and he doesn't take your advice. Don't just storm out. Don't be going out in in a rush and in a huff, but go out calmly. And then he says, do not take your stand in the evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. Don't stand up in the king's presence for something that's wrong because he's going to do whatever he's going to do, and you'll get caught up in that. The word of king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? You know, you are an advisor. He's the one that's calling the shots. So you need to navigate that relationship with wisdom and discretion. And if you keep a command of the king, you will know no evil thing. It will go well with you if you don't make the king angry. So this king is a bit capricious, it seems. The wise art will know the proper time and the just way. And doesn't that go right along with Packer's definition? He knows the the goal, he knows the highest ends, and he knows the path to get to the highest end. He knows the proper time, the just way. So discretion and wisdom are useful in this scenario. 
The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Jesus was the greatest example of wisdom that ever lived, of course. And we see it in the Gospels, when, especially when he interacts with the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. You'll recall just a couple of, of, of episodes in the life of Jesus when uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were trying to entrap Jesus and they asked him if they should pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus very shrewdly uh, gets a coin and he says, whose likeness is on the coin? And of course, uh, Caesar's image is stamped on that coin. And he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto the Lord what is the Lord's. Or in another example, the chief priest uh, came up to him while he was teaching and the, in the temple, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? I mean, he was just a carpenter's son, a carpenter himself, uneducated, at least they thought so. And Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So you see the wisdom of Jesus shining through there. They were out to get him. They were out to, to undermine his authority. And he completely turned the tables on him in his wisdom. They were trapped by their own trap. So wisdom is something that is very beneficial in our lives. I mean, we see that throughout Scripture. Wisdom is commended to us over and over again. We see it in the wisdom literature, particularly in the book of Proverbs, a book of pithy statements full of wisdom, practical wisdom for life. But wisdom has its limitations. And he, and he shares that with us. He, he says there at the end of verse 5, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything. It reminds us of back in chapter 3, for everything uh, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So Solomon sees, yes, uh, the wise person can navigate this life because he knows the proper time and the just way. He knows how to navigate through life in the most efficient way, in the best way. But there is a limitation there. Look at verse 7. He does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? We don't know the future. You know, we live in the present and we try to make wise decisions in the present but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And also, we don't really have a lot of power over the present either. He goes on, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. I mean, our lives are in God's hands. We don't have the power to say when we're going to die or when we're not going to die. Yes, we go to the doctor, we get treatment, we try to prolong our lives. We try to eat healthy uh, for the most part. And we try to do the things that, you know, promote a healthy lifestyle. But God is over the day of death, not us. 
And even in the, in the middle of life, we can't just, you know, have control over everything, every factor, obviously. He says there's no discharge from war. When you're in the middle of the battle and you're a soldier, you can't just say, well, I quit. I mean, you can, but just, that's not very wise because you'll probably be shot for treason. No man can do that. Wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it, he says. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. So we live without the power to know the future or control over every factor that we have in the present. And we live in difficult times. There's the word toil throughout this book. Toil, the toil of our lives. And he says it here. All this toil that we have in the, in the, in the times, in the seasons. Man has power over man to his hurt in this world in which we live. Things are broken. So we don't know the future. We can't control the presence. We live in a difficult time. So wisdom, yes, it's helpful, but we can't know everything. And we can't control everything. Life is unfair, he goes on to say. Look at verse 10. I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. It's, it's pointless. It's empty. It's nothing. A, a wicked person is buried. They have a nice funeral. They've been going to the synagogue, and people admire these wicked people. And, and it seems like their lives are blessed. And, and people go on in their evil because they don't face the consequences of their evil. That's what verse 11 says. The sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil because of that. You know, if you get away with it, you're more and more emboldened. And that's the world in which we live. And look at verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said this is also vanity. So wicked people have it easy. Righteous people have it hard, and it's not the way it should be. That's backwards in the way that we should, the way things should work out. So Solomon is pointing us to the fact that, yes, we need wisdom, but wisdom has its limitations. We can't know the future. We can't control every factor in our lives. Life is unfair. Uh, there's violence in the world. There's brokenness. There's difficulties. This is all that we face and look at verse 16. He summarizes his thoughts on wisdom here. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So as we look at this world where we don't know the future, we can't control the present, where life seemingly is often unfair, where there is violence and brokenness, and we're trying to navigate this with wisdom, we might ask ourselves, you know, uh, maybe if we are wise enough, we can figure all this out. But he says, no, you can't, because only God knows. God's ways are beyond our comprehension. And God is in control of this world. And 
as, as uh, the, the Old Testament especially tells us. In places like Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we can't think God's. Paul said at the end of uh, Romans 11, you know, God's ways are unsearchable, they're inscrutable, they're beyond finding out. The wisdom and knowledge of God is beyond us. And he's filled with awe at it. Kind of like Job. I finished up my uh, yearly Bible reading and one of the last books that I read was Job in the plan that I was reading. And there at the end of Job, you know, Job was a righteous man and he had it all going for him. And then Satan said, well, he's only, he's only righteous because you blessed him so much, God. And so God allows Satan to afflict Job. Uh, his children are taken from him. He loses basically everything in his health. And there's a, a whole conversation that's going on with his friends who come to comfort him or accuse him uh, more, more specifically. Uh, <clears throat> and at the end of the book, Job is confronted with God. And God comes into the world comes from the whirlwind asking Job a barrage of questions that leads Job to say, you know, I just have to cover my mouth and say nothing else because I don't know. I don't know everything. I am limited, a human, human being. And in Job 11 it says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? So there it is. Yes, Solomon is commending wisdom to us, but it has its limitations. It has its limitations. But God knows everything. God is in control of everything. So how should we then live? How to, to steal uh, a book title, Francis Schaeffer's book, How Then Shall We Live? He gives us a couple of things here in the middle of this. It's almost like it's right in the heart of this passage. And that is what we find here. Two things uh, in verse 12. First of all, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want to have wisdom, then we, we must fear the Lord. And what does that mean, to fear the Lord? It means to have a respect for God, to put Him first, to trust Him, to, to live our lives as if we were before the very face of God, which we are, and God sees everything. But it's for us to be mindful of that, to be, to be mindful that God sees and God is in control and we are bowing before him and trusting in him as we navigate this difficult life that we have. God will make sure that it goes well with us. Now, that seems to be contradictory, doesn't it, from what all he's been saying, that sometimes the righteous are treated like the wicked should be treated and sometimes the wicked are treated like the righteous should be treated. Well, I think he's looking beyond just this life you know, Solomon didn't have the light that we have. 
since Christ has come, since Christ rose from the dead. We have the promise of the resurrection. We have the promise of the day of judgment. We have the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. So we, can, we have a greater reason to put our trust in God because He has promised that there will be a day when the dead will hear the voice, the trumpet, and will rise and meet the Lord in the air. And we will be forever with the Lord. And that day will be a day also of judgment when the books will be opened and the wicked will receive what they deserve and the righteous will be rewarded. So, yes, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom, to live our lives trusting in God, putting our faith in Him, resting in His promises, following His instruction. That's where we find wisdom, in listening to God and hearing His Word and obeying His Word and trusting what He has told us is true. And so not only does He tell us to fear the Lord, that it will go well with us and we have hope in a future if we do so, but He also tells us to rejoice. Look at verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So Solomon is saying, you know, have a respect and an awe and a trust in God, fear God, and rejoice, because you are in God's hands, and he is in control of, of your life. And everything that comes into your life, if you're a child of God, you can know that it's all working for your good and his glory. He's a loving Heavenly Father. We started off this worship service remembering that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And we should give him thanks. His covenant love, that's what that word is. We talked about it yesterday in the men's breakfast. God has bound himself to, to his people. If you're one of his people, he has bound himself to you. He's married to you in, in, in essence. He's, he's made a covenant with you. And that means that within our toilsome lives, we can trust that the Lord has our best interests at heart. He's in control of everything and he's working it for our good no matter how difficult the circumstances might be. So, as Paul told the Philippians repeatedly, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the good things that you've been given in life. Now, this is not saying let's go out and party and have that kind of a, you know, happiness that comes from overeating and over-drinking, but to eat and drink, be thankful for the things that you've been given by God, and to be joyful in those things and in the work that he's given you. He, he says that throughout the book. Your daily existence, living today before the face of God to bring joy to him. And we know that with wisdom and faith, that's what we're called to live, as how we're called to live as believers because Christ is our, is our Lord and our Savior and he is the wisdom of God. He is the highest end and the, the, the path to get there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, in essence, this whole passage is pointing us to Jesus, to put our trust in the one who laid down 
his life for us. What would your life look like? You know, picture that. Put it, try this on. What would your life look like if you lived in the fear of God and in the joy of the Lord? And that's something to meditate upon and think about today and in the coming days. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that you would help us to have a awe and respect for you and a trust in you. You are our loving Heavenly Father. We pray that we would be reminded of that. And you did not spare your only Son, but sent him to lay down his life for us. And you raised him from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, Lord, we know that we have a hope and a, and a future with you. And we thank you. And we pray in the meantime, Lord, that we would commune with you, that we would know you, that we would walk with you, and that we would trust you and rejoice in you. And, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know this, we pray, Lord, that, that they would call upon you, turn from sin and turn to you, give their life to you. And we pray, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would work in their hearts to draw them to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.